This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, everyone. A little housekeeping before we get into the episode. This coming Monday, March 8th, marks both International Women's Day and the four-year anniversary of Women Who Travel which is why we're releasing next week's episode early on Monday, instead of our usual Wednesday drop. Be sure to look out for it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Valeria Koglu. Hello! The pandemic has sent us in search of wide-open spaces, both as a means of escape from the challenges of the past year and a way to recreate safely outside as we continue to social distance. But as more and more of us explore the outdoors, it's also essential to be respectful of the land that we're on and educate ourselves about the history of it. And who gets to tell that history? Which is why we're excited to be joined by our guest, Jalen Goff, founder of Native Women's Wilderness, an online platform based in Boulder, Colorado, that brings Native women together in the outdoors. Thanks so much for joining us, Jalen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So as Meredith already mentioned, throughout this incredibly intense and at times devastating last year, lots of people have reconnected with the healing and restful qualities of the outdoors. How has that played out in your own life, both in the pandemic and beforehand? I think it's been an interesting journey, you know, respecting the people on the trails, respecting my own health and ensuring I am bringing safety to myself and my community. Uh, So there's been kind of a hesitancy of being on the trails and being outside where there's a lot of people. But at the same time, because everything has been so up in the air with in my life and with NWW and with my own career and aspects, I've been finding myself needing the outdoors more and more and the frustration of I can't be fully free and outside as much as I want to um, due to COVID and um, restrictions and just ensuring that I and my I myself am being safe to myself and others. So it's been kind of a a hard thing to maneuver. You know, do I go outside where I need the restoration or do I stay, you know, where I am? Because for me in Boulder, Colorado, there's trails in and near Boulder, but they're so heavily trafficked, you know? And so then to go outside somewhere else, I have to go like an hour or so out. And then, you know, just being safety conscientious, like these smaller mountain towns could be affected by me you know, possibly carrying a virus or whatnot. So it's just been like, uh, <laughs> I don't really know what to do right now. <laughs> you know, you you kind of alluded to the fact that to be out in the outdoors is a way of 
coping and healing for yourself. And I, I imagine that served that purpose before the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about your relationship with the outdoors and being on those trails pre-COVID. For me, being in the outdoors is just something that is, you know, it's like blood flowing through me, right? It, it's just something so innate within me. Uh, when I was growing up, I lived on the reservation, on the Navajo reservation in a small community called Tohatchi. And my mom was a foster parent. And so we always had kids in the house. And I honestly, one, don't know how she how she did it. And to get any type of quiet or, to, you know, to get things done or whatnot, she would always chase us outside. I'm like, go, go be outside, you know. And so we would always be outside. And I think that just like, that just resonated deeply within me. And that just set kind of like, this is what we do. You know, you go outside. If you're bored, you go outside. And then growing up, you know, living in poverty, we didn't have like, you know, the fun stuff like Game Boys or, you know, video games or, you know, TV and whatnot. And so we really made the outdoors our our movie set, you know, like our imagination trails and whatnot, our storybooks. And but it was always, you know, can we jump that one jump with our mountain bikes? Can we climb that one cliff, you know, and Now looking back, I'm thinking we didn't even use ropes. We were just, you know, scrambling up those cliffs like, you know, little lizards and, you know, not even having a care in the world. So it's always been like a huge, deep seated emotion for me. Like it's not just going outside to bag that peak or to send that route. There's like a connection for me with the outdoors. You know, it's just like that the smell of the sage and the smell of the rain hitting the red dirt. It's, you know, it's the feeling of the power of the wind. It's the sand between my toes. Um, Because I I feel like for me, like this is the land my ancestors walked on. And for me, I was adopted. And so I don't really know my birth parents or my birth family. And so I used to imagine when I was a kid of like, me walking down the desert and just wondering if like my great grandma was walking with me or how many people of my ancestors were with me or who were guiding me, you know? And I think that that connection is there, right? Like their blood and sweat and tears is in that land. I find myself being grounded within the land. You know, indigenous communities in the U.S. have such a strong relationship and history with the land. And they're also generally really underrepresented in traditional outdoor spaces and and the outdoor industry. How does Native Women's Wilderness play into the outdoor industry space and, and what brought its creation about? Yeah, so I'm really excited because our main focus and our main goal is that we elevate the voices of our women and our two spirits. And that's you know, elevating their stories, their hardships, their joys, the things that they're most proud of. But on top of that, we also elevate, you know, the women in two spirits that we have lost to the Murdered Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women campaign. And we also touch a lot upon the campaign that we started called Whose Land Are We Exploring On? And then it's, you know, gone forth of like, whose land are we climbing on? Whose waters are we fishing on? Whose land are we skiing on? And whatnot in, you know, forward motion. And I think by generating these voices and generating these um, campaigns and these ideas into the outdoor industry, I 
I believe that we have helped shift the voice of the voiceless, right? Like who knows this land better than we do? Like this is our land. This is stolen land. And our ancestors and our family has traversed these land for um, years and years. And so by elevating our voices and giving the awareness to these situations, I've noticed the outdoor industry slightly shift. I mean, there's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. But there are brands and there are companies who are acknowledging the stolen lands. They're acknowledging um, the native voices. Uh, They're acknowledging the fact that the atrocities of our past has really pushed off the native people off of their land. And they're acknowledging that that was really crappy and shitty. And so how can we begin the healing and how can we start addressing these issues? Um, And I think that's been a really amazing, but also a very difficult journey to be on. Um, because there's, you know, when you associate and when we think about the land, there's also trauma, right? The land has had trauma. Um, it's been abused. It's been taken away. And then our people, you know, have gone through a numerous amount of trauma. So when you think about having to create various programs or create communities, I'm not only am I thinking about the people, but I'm having to think about, or we're having to think about the traumas of the past. How do we maneuver and how do we start the healing process of this to begin to create these communities, right? Um, You have to go back to the situation and recognize the trauma and work through it and you know, process it and love it and treat it before we can go to the healing part. And I think that's what also NWW helps provide is talking about these issues, talking about these big issues, because if you don't talk about trauma, it still lives and breathes, right? Because it has room to grow and, you know, whatnot. But if you talk about it and you claim it and you name it, there's such a healing process and, you know, just talking about it. And I think um, in WW gives that platform, right? Like we give the platform for our women and our two spirits to share about their lives, to share about the hardships, but also to share about their communities and how blessed we are and how much healing there's been. And I'm, I'm really proud of how, um, much NWW has given these individual, their voices back. When, you mentioned, you know, having these conversations and and talking and sharing. And from what I've read about NWW, there's also a large component, which is creating opportunities for women to explore their ancestral lands. What do those opportunities look like? Is it heading out onto the trails and groups or, you know, what's that process like? Yeah, I think it is um, a little bit about everything, right? Like it's giving the opportunity to head on to these trials groups. Before COVID, we I have 15 ambassadors in there scattered throughout the United States and Canada. And each ambassador is responsible of um, putting on a group activity, whether that be hiking, biking, running or climbing or, you know, whatever they just so desire. And it was a beautiful um, event to watch. And it was a beautiful moment to see unfold with the relationships that people gained. And, you know, just being together on the land or on the water is something really special. But to be together as Native people with other Native people who enjoy the things that you enjoy was really special. 
Um, we also have been able to provide um, resources for people or individuals to get higher education learning within the outdoor realm so people could um, get their first aid wilderness response or their first aid course. And so like gaining these um, the needed knowledge to be outside, right? Or, you know, getting their mountaineering course or their single pitch course, creating resources and education so that not only that they can use this information, but that will propel them to gain more knowledge and possibly more different careers out in the outdoor industry. So I'm, I'm really excited about how well we've been able to provide these resources. You, you know, you said pre-COVID pretty pointedly um what's the what's the past year been like you know it's it's been hard um we've had to really redesign and restructure what we as nww are doing um and our common goal has always been how do we give back to the communities in which we come from and I think that became a very focal point for our organization and what we do. And so we've been doing a lot of COVID response work. Um, we did, um, we've done multiple fundraisers for various communities um, and reservations throughout the country. In the summer, we did a massive, massive um, fundraiser for people out in the Navajo Nation. And we tried to really focus on the areas that was hitting, getting hit really hard and um, to the, our elders. And at least more than half of our deliveries were to our elders, which was really, which is always a really important component for us to ensure that we beat that goal. And then we've been doing like various donations to help out with funeral costs because the rate of people who were dying on our reservations was staggering. And so we really wanted to ensure that we would be able to help with those costs. We've done multiple other drives, but we have a new campaign going out where we will be um, providing assistance to help our elders and various people within our communities to find vaccine shots. But it's a little daunting because I think it's going to be a major, major endeavor to <laughs> to work on. But um, if we can just help at least one person be inoculated, I think, you know, obviously it's going to be worth it. It's an extraordinary pivot. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Are you ever minding your own business when you start to wonder, how do killer whales work? Who are Hollywood's paparazzi? Did British sailors get it on in the 1800s with each other? I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week on Getting Curious, I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Honey, we explore everything around here with scientists, historians, activists, entertainers, and other brilliant guest experts. You can join me every Wednesday for an all-new topic with an all-new expert on Getting Curious. Listen to Getting Curious wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. 
So like you were saying before, with the resources that you've been able to get NWW members access to, whether it be training courses um, or just, you know, groups of people to be in the outdoors with, the program has really focused on education for Native and non-Native outdoors people about the land that they choose to explore and how to explore it. You know, as so many more people have headed out into the outdoors over the past year um, to find that solace, like we were talking about before, you know, what advice do you have for non-Native travelers who are maybe new to the outdoors and want to learn more about these lands and how to be respectful of them? Uh, One thing that we always usually point out to our non-Native friends is the app called Native Land App. And you can go into this app and put, you know, where you are, where you're located. And it's a really beautiful app because it will like zone in and then it will like you'll have all of these color different circular patterns of uh, the tribes or the indigenous people that were located or at once were part of that land before, you know, the push off of the land. And then it not only does it give you that, it has a, um, a link to Wikipedia for you to go right into more information about the tribes or about the history, which I think is um, really important. You know, not only are you acknowledging the original landowners, but also acknowledging and reading about the past of the land and the past of these people. Oftentimes, unfortunately, it's pretty bad. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad, right? Like you're talking about the forceful removal of people of their original land, um, or you know, talking about the minings or of like various minings and whatnot. And so, just acknowledging it and learning about it is what we really encourage people to do because I think that's the starting point. You know, once you start learning about something, then, you know, there's there's the opportunity to grow and to fluctuate and expand your mind. When you talked to Lolly last summer for a Women Who Travel story, you lamented how, quote, the outdoor and travel industries, which have claimed billions of dollars on stolen land, give off this romantic idea of wanderlust within the Southwest. How would you like to see those narratives change? You know, like you have those Instagram posts, right? Where you have to get, you know, the perfect sunset and you're wearing that hat and you're just like, you know, making this striking pose and whatnot. And you're talking about, you know, how beautiful and gorgeous this land is and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes I get really irritated and frustrated with those posts because often not and you know I'm just gonna say it because I'm just you know that kind of person but like it's it's a bunch of white people you know and and it's it's frustrating in the fact because the the ignorance or the inability to acknowledge what has happened on this land or that the feeling that this land and this area is for their use and their wanderings and exploring or to capture that perfect Instagram picture is really frustrating. And I think that, you know, and I think in some ways COVID kind of brought that up too, because so many reservations shut their land off to travelers. Um, So I come from the Navajo Nation and, you know, we have some fast and fantastic places out there, you know, like Antelope Canyon and all of these beautiful, you know, Monument Valley and all of these fantastic places where the grammars love to go and take those epic shots. And we closed off all of those, you know, parks and those, you know, beautiful landscapes. And 
you know, they got a major kickback from, you know, the outside world. And I think people were really, really upset that they weren't allowed to go onto the land when that, you know, pivoted a whole new conversation of like, this is not your land. We are not here to fulfill your Instagram story page. Um, but I think it like changed the shift in the narrative a little bit of, you know, talking about these places, that these places are sacred. And if you look at the, the history and the past of uh, national parks, that a lot of the places in the national parks were sacred places and sacred ceremonial spots for our um, native people. Uh, because they hold such power and such greatness, right? Like, and then, of course, you know, the white sellers came along and they were like, oh, this place looks wonderful. Let's claim this. And, you know, then it became a national park. You know, it sits wrong with me and it's really frustrating that our native people have to pay to get into a national park when this used to be their sacred ceremony and prayer place. And for us, it goes beyond getting that Instagram shot you know or you know bagging that peak or whatnot like there's there's a sacredness to it for us that reference to bagging that peak kind of suggests a different type of traveler from the instagrammers perhaps Mm -hmm. um and maybe more specifically speaks to the outdoors industry how much responsibility do you think the outdoors mainstream outdoors industry or traditional outdoors industry has in terms of changing that narrative and educating outdoors people to not just bag that peak to maybe be more present in that moment and to be aware of that history and that sacredness oh i think there's a major responsibility for the outdoor industry and i think collectively as a whole they need to be setting an example you know like i indicated earlier they're gleaning billions of dollars off of stolen land and how much do they generate into our communities how much do they generate into these you know reservations that we are forced upon to live in like a third world country you know so many places on the navajo reservation don't have plumbing or electricity and you have these visitors coming through in their sprinter vans um living the van life and they're like oh this is amazing we get to roam across the land and be free and wild and it's just like well, that's super great. At least you have the opportunities and resources and the privilege to do that. A lot of people living on the reservations don't have that privilege to even, you know, one, to have a vehicle or whatnot. But they're, you know, the glorification of, you know, van life and whatnot. Oh, I could go into that whole <laughs> aspect. But, you know, like for the outdoor industry specifically, that there's major responsibilities. And I have seen some brands who are doing an excellent job and one is Hoka One One. And they have completely redirected their marketing route. And within all of their marketing and video and Instagram, um, they are now acknowledging the stolen lands and they're acknowledging the the original people to the land. I've worked closely with them to go out and photograph native women or two spirits within their running shoes. But on top of that, not only do I get to take photos of them and, you know, provide this beautiful new plethora of information and beauty, but also I get to share these stories and, you know, the fact that this company and this brand 
is so willing and so adamant in ensuring that we share these stories and we talk about these issues is, you know, completely overwhelming and beautiful. And, you know, that's how it should be. Yet, how often do I see brands do this? You know, I could name like maybe a handful. And I hope Hoka will be the pivotal um, brand to help bring other brands into this realm. So we've been talking about representation and we're recording this episode on February 23rd, the day of New Mexico representative Deb Holland's confirmation hearing for interior secretary. If confirmed, she would be the first indigenous cabinet member overseeing 500 million acres of public lands and responsible for the 1.9 million indigenous people in the U.S. What would her appointment mean to you? Oh man, this is this is such a deep and emotional question for me. So pardon me if I start bawling or crying. <laughs> um, I think uh, her voice is so massive and so powerful, right? And I think every Native woman and every Native little girl looks to Deb Holland as like, I want to be her when I grow up, right? Because most of us don't have that representation. And her voice is just absolutely powerful and what brings that forward is the voice of her, the voice of her ancestors for once who are like backing her up, who have taught her all that she has known, but the voice of wanting to shed light on this horrible thing that has happened to our land and our native peoples, you know, and wanting to be, you know, that person to bring light into darkness, right? Um, it's just, it's unbelievably powerful. And, you know, I, you know, I was thinking about that earlier too, Meredith, when I was reading the news this morning of like, how awesome is it that we're talking about this podcast on the day that Deb Holland could be voted in? Like, this is just, I don't know, it's just beautiful and it's amazing. And I'm really, really excited to see what she's going to do because her voice, you know, stands so much for land rights, you know, and native rights. And I think she's just going to be the perfect person. But also we needed a native representation in this spot, you know, like, you know, going back again to who knows the land better than we do, right? Like, this is the land our ancestors traversed on. We know this land backwards and forward. And so I think she's going to be the most perfect asset to Biden's team than anyone else could be. And I'm glad it's not a white man. <laughs> Can so we true. just say amen for that? <laughs> uh, couldn't agree more. <laughs> so from some social media sleuthing we gathered that you traveled to alaska last fall and you shared on social media about how it felt like something clicked into place while you were there mm. what was it about this trip and the alaskan land that resonated with you oh man that was i think the most epic beautiful trip i've ever taken um so going into history it, it kind of like it varies like um it said that the Navajo people and the Athabascan people were together, but then we went south and they stayed there, right? Even though we as Diné people believe that we emerged from, you know, Navajo and Dineta. But it is also really beautiful and interesting that our elders, you know, even though that we are miles and miles away from each other, if we put them in the same room, they can still have a conversation with each other in our traditional language. And when I arrived, like the mountains and the waters and the animals were just so astounding to me. But it was really interesting on an emotional, spiritual format is that 
I don't know how to describe, but like it, it, it's exactly like you said, Lolly. Is like there was like a click. It was just like my life was like here, and I just needed that one click for it to just you know click together and it be a whole you know a whole piece, you know. And it was the language, it was the beauty, it was the culture, and it was the people. And I was I was sitting there on the ocean at one point, and I was just looking at the sea and looking at how the waters were lapping and the sun catching off in the mountains all around. And I had this vision, and I, you know, I, I've often come back to this vision of like, you know, that my people so long, long ago were walking the same you know, oceans was walking the same path. And then at some point in time, they decided to go south. And yes, I am such a desert person by heart and by spirit and by soul, but I've never had a connection to a place like I have with Alaska. I've never gone to a place where it's just like everything in my being just clicked. And I was talking to um, one of my good friends up there and we were talking about this connection and you know when we first met like we first met at a whiskey bar which you know obviously there was the connection right there but like (laughs) um we were talking about the connection that we've had at sisterhood you know and just you know the they call themselves Dene and we call them we call ourselves Dene and you know talking about that sisterhood of our you know ancestors but our sisterhood in present days of how strong that is but how that strength is you know brought together by the land and the waters and the strength of our ancestors and it it just felt like everything that I was to experience happened in Alaska you know but not only that I was able to capture the life and breath of the native people and you know the the beautiful souls that you know of the native women I was able to capture with my camera um and just to be a part of their lives right to have sit at the table and you know be with their families and you know to eat salmon over and over which is so amazing it it was a deep spiritual journey for me and like I said I sat there at the at the beachfront just having this weird vision of my people walking with my sister my friend's people hand in hand and almost lamenting about the the split that we had right but that that hasn't been severed you know our language still exists you know our our love for the land still exists and to be back in this land with my Alaskan Dena um, sisters there was just like that physical force of bringing us back together you know obviously that kind of trip just the way you're talking about it feels not once in a lifetime but maybe a a handful of times in a lifetime that you have that mm-hmm. that experience. You know, maybe that is not your next trip, but where do you want to go next to either feel like that or have a new travel experience? Yeah. Um, there are two places that I, I'm trying to figure out how I can get a brand to sign me on. <laughs> um, one, I, I really do want to go back to Alaska. I really do want to experience it in the winter because I think that's going to be a whole new story. But I I do really, um, I just have this desire to go to Hawaii and um, the islands out there and see 
how their people live. You know, um, it's something that's so foreign to me. Like I want to know of their connection to the waters. You know, I'm, I'm a desert girl. Um, I have really no connection to the waters, although I love to fly fish and I love, I love that. And so there's that connection, but throw me in an ocean. Holy, holy moly. I would just be freaking out because, you know, what if there's a shark underneath me or, you know, I'm not the greatest swimmer because I grew up in the desert and I, I really, I I just have this pull of like seeking out, uh, you know, Hawaiian natives, um, and to learn and grow from them and to learn of this beautiful connection that they have to their waters and to their land and their culture and their ceremonies and traditions. And it's something that I personally don't know. And so I really, really want to, I really want to experience that. And I really want to be taught that, you know, and I think another place I really have a major desire to go to is New Zealand. I've done a lot of research about the Maori tribe and whatnot. And now that's a whole nother tribe that I really want to go and seek out and learn from them and learn about their traditions. And it feels like such a fierce, strong culture and resilience. And I don't know, it just radiates to me from this far away. And, you know, to learn and grow from, from their voices and their traditions, I think would just be absolutely powerful you know and you know like for me it's not like wanting to seek out because that adventure sounds great you know it's it's wanting to see out the people you know making these relationships and building community and building trust and learning from them because we all we all have the opportunity to learn and grow and I only become a better person and more understanding and a better leader for NWW by bringing myself into these situations and to learn from it. And the more I can learn and grow, the more NWW can grow. Speaking of people to learn from, are there any women, Indigenous women or two spirits that you would suggest our listeners follow um, to gain a better understanding of their experience or learn more about the outdoors besides yourself and NWW, of course? One of the main persons that comes to mind is Pinar they are the, one of the founders of Queer Nature, and it's it's amazing and it's beautiful. And I've learned so much about the LGBTQAI community and our T-Spirit community from them. And man, that was such a learning curve for me. But they did it so perfectly and so lovingly with me. And they brought me in. And I feel like I I became a stronger person because of them, you know. And then there's people like um, Callie Wolf, who is just like such a major voice and such an advocate for her community and, you know, for mothers and native mothers and the need for vaccines. Um, And one of our other ambassadors, Renee Hutchkins, you know, talks a lot about, you know, stolen land and, you know, the components of land and territory and you know, the, there's this other woman named Erin Gilpin, and she created Indigenous Women Climb. And, you know, it's talking about the climbing aspects that are, you know, our people, you know, climb, but also talking about the original landowners and asking for permission from the elders. If you go to a different territory of like going to the elders first and saying, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, and this is what my heart looks like, can I climb on your land? 
and that was just such when I when I read that and I heard that it was just such like yeah why aren't we doing things like this right like I know I'm missing a ton of people but yeah I there's only so you know this podcast you know it has certain <laughs> minutes and NWW features so many amazing women on its own page and usually tags them so it's another great place I think yes. to mm-hmm. just learn about women's experiences in the outdoors. Um, if people want to find you or find NWW on social media or the internet in general, where can they find you? So you can, we're at Native Women's Wilderness. And for myself, I am at Jalen.goff. Um, and then um, you can also find my photography, which I need to work on that as well, at Goff Photography. And we do have a website called nwwwilderness.org and you can find a list of our ambassadors, um, their backstories, and you can find other information. We do have a site specifically for MMIW. Um, we do also have uh, a shop tab, which we are having a, um, more articles being brought into the shopping cart as well. So yeah, those are some really good resources to look for us. You can find me at Oh Hey There Mayor. And me at Lale Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much, Jalen, for joining us, and we will talk to everyone else next week. Are you looking for ideas to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Listen to Happier with Gretchen Rubin, a weekly podcast hosted by two sisters. I'm Gretchen Rubin, the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project. And I'm Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Each week we share fresh insights and practical solutions, such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. Listen and follow the podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.